0: Welcome everyone to the fourth episode of Joining the Dots, in which the Dots & Loops team sit down and chat to some of the wonderful artists that make up the Dots & Loops family. My name is Flora Wong and this week I'm joined by cellist Louise King, We had a really lovely chat about the amazing work she does up on the Sunshine Coast, just north of Brisbane. We talk about how she incorporates creativity and improvisation into her instrumental teaching practice, and she shares some really fantastic advice for chamber musicians. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Joining the Dots. My name is Flora. I'm one of the associate directors of Dots and Loops, a post-genre concert series based in Brisbane, Australia. And in this podcast, we chat to some of the artists that make up the Dots and Loops community. Today, I'm joined by Louise King, a cellist who has worked extensively in the UK, Europe and Asia as a concert artist, a chamber musician, an orchestral musician and a teacher. She moved to Australia in 2003 and runs Cello Dreaming, a studio from which she teaches, runs workshops, produces concerts, community events and collaborative projects and freelances with ensembles including the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Topology, the Queensland Orchestra, Southern Cross Soloists and much more. She is a founding member of the Muses Trio Hello and welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a great experience to do this with you like this. It's wonderful. Thank you.
0: It's it's really good to see you, particularly as at the moment um, we're recording over Zoom uh, because while I'm based in Brisbane, uh, Louise is based on the sunny coast and I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which we're meeting today, so the Turbal and the Yagara people for me and the Cubby Cubby people for Louise. Now, to kick off our podcast, um, we like to start off with uh, a couple of fun questions just to give our listeners a bit of a picture of you. And so, given that we're recording in the morning, um, what is your morning routine? Do you have one?
1: Yes, I do. Um, I'm actually an early waker. I've always loved dawn. So I generally, if I can, get up to see the light seeping in. Um, it also probably comes with the fact that I'm a, a mum of two kids. So my mm-hmm. uh, kind of body clock has completely changed um, with obviously that. <laughs> um, they're much older now. But the funny thing is uh, I have definitely sw- you know moved into that idea of uh, waking up early and Um, I find, particularly if the house is still quiet, it's my best time to create. Um, And what I mean by that is it's clean thinking space. Mm. So, yeah, my morning routine is uh, being inspired, trying to use that time to think creatively and um, plan Mm. Um, uninterrupted thinking time and, and reflection practice. Yeah. And I'm a big, yeah, I think I'm a big meditator too. So, and that's been a practice I've been doing since lockdown. Beautiful. Um, So since uh, March, I've been meditating daily. Yeah. And it's a very important part of my, how I set up my day. Yeah.
0: It definitely makes a huge difference the way you start the day, I think. Yeah, definitely. And what was the last piece of music that you listened to? Uh, it would have been this morning, some Hildegard von Bingen,
1: just straight after my meditation. Um, a beautiful uh, choral group called Sequentia, and I just find, um, again, a clear thinking space when I'm listening to something like that. Um, but yeah, that was my last piece of music I heard around six o'clock this morning.
0: And uh, at the moment, we're probably all missing travelling a little bit, but if you could teleport anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? Um, I'd probably go to London to
1: see some friends I'm dearly missing and maybe some f- uh, family that I know I don't know when I'm going to see them next. Mm. Um, but that is the wonderful thing about modern technology, isn't it? You know, we've been able to still connect through socials and that has been a real blessing. Yeah, it
0: is a bit of a lifesaver, I think. And also, you know, not just keep in touch, but also be creative. So, yeah. And, I, and the world has exploded with the
1: idea of digital adaption, I think, for creative people. It is really quite remarkable what is being pumped out mm. on those little screens in our hands. Yeah, it's, it's really um, incredible.
0: Mm. Now, we first met many years ago when you were my chamber music tutor at AYO, the Australian Youth Orchestra's National Music Camp. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey to date with chamber music and music education? Yeah, sure. It was great to work with you
1: then. I was reflecting a little bit on that this morning because obviously I knew we were going to chat today. Um, Gosh, chamber music. Why do I love it so much? Um, It's the best way to talk to people without having to use words. Mm. (laughs) Um, I love the independence of thought that you can create in chamber music work. Um, And I love the fact that... um, I suppose particularly string players, we're kind of immersed often in the very kind of traditional classical legacy. So as soon as I discovered chamber music pretty early on in my time, um, I realised that this is when you can really cultivate your own aesthetic and voice as an artist. Mm. And I think that's the most powerful thing um, we can have as a string player, actually. So it definitely goes against the orchestral training grain Um And I think it's a wonderful thing to explore as a young musician, independence of thought. But more than anything, how do you take a rehearsal? How do you break down a work of art? How do you um, communicate your ideas to other people in the room? Um, And that is what's so exciting also about facilitating chamber music coaching or rehearsals for other people. Um, You can go pretty deep um, into those thinking um, and reflection practices. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. And Australian Youth Orchestra has has really um, pushed that idea. They know that actually if their young musicians are more um, enabled and empowered with their own, um, uh, I suppose, artistry, then that's going to feed into a larger unit, whether that be a a wind section or, you know, it's it's a very exciting way to, to train people.
0: Yeah. yeah 100% it's it's so important I think to have that breadth of of experience not just in one type of ensemble or one one type one genre for example um, because everything feeds into everything else
1: yeah and I think um, I'm just thinking reflecting now on my training I was at the rule uh at Northern College of Music in Manchester and you know in one of the groups I was working there Piano Trio it was my first time exploring improvisation within a, a typical kind of classical genre so that really switched on that light for me of improvisation and um, how, how can that work uh, mm. in a live experience with with other musicians on stage Um, and one of my chain music coaches said right haydn let's just work out the chords and now you're going to create your own improvisation based upon that form and that model Um, and i think that's what good training does it completely pivots you into new ways of thinking and it exposes your your weak spots but also kind of really um, encourages you to go down there you know the rabbit hole of fear What am I going to learn? Can I do this? You know, Um, and that's definitely something I've experienced a lot more powerfully doing chamber music and working Mm. with other artists in that way than I would have done if I'd stayed in that uh, kind of more typical orchestral job experience, which I have had as well. Um, But all the time when I was an orchestral full time musician, I always played chamber music for fun.
0: Mm. Um,
1: So it's been a very important thread um, all my life. And I played chamber music actually on the piano first. Um, I didn't take up uh, cello till I was 12. So my chamber music experiences in primary school, for example, xylophone group. Mm -hmm. I still remember the fun of doing xylophones (laughs) and um, recorder group. Yes, I mean, what young musician hasn't done? Four part recorders. Mm -hmm. Um, Choir. And so all of those experiences basically threaded themselves together in order to create that fabric of what is chamber music for me. It's playing uh, with other musicians who you, you know, really enjoy working with. And if you're lucky, um, the wonderful icing on the cake is that you actually might be able to call them friends, <laughs> <laughs> which is a wonderful thing to have both Definitely. a professional working experience as well as a friendship. But that tends mm. to happen because you you need to bring yourself into the room and to the work. Um I've never trusted a musician who can just clock on and clock off. It's, it's not why I go into music.
0: music rehearsal where you are improvising and I imagine for a lot of young musicians that idea seems very unusual and it's probably something that uh, I, I think I, I reflect back on my chamber music training um, at university and that's something that I don't think I ever did. Um, no and that was facilitated by
1: David Dolan who's now at the Guildhall School mm. of Music in London Um and he's definitely made a name for himself in trying to kind of help um, facilitate improvisation practice within a classical genre. Mm. Um, but when I think about when I first came to music, it didn't matter what instrument I had in my hand. It could have been a pot and a pan from the, from the kitchen as a kid. Mm-hmm. I experimented with sound. And it also connects to, I suppose, how I was trained very early on, how I came into into music learning. Um I mean, my dad's a music teacher, and even though he he taught me the piano, it was go create, Mm. it wasn't go practice. Mm. So just a a quick change of a word can completely um, pivot you into a whole other uh, way of doing things. And my earliest memories of the piano in particular are taking my favourite books I was reading or storybooks or even visual pictures um, and improvising, using that, basically creating film scores in my head of what I could see. That's incredible. Um, So, you know, my natural instinct was to compose. My actual first memory is making sound, playing with sound. And it's the same thing when I went to my first cello lesson. Um, And I still remember my teacher Daisy at the time saying, okay, I'm not gonna tell you anything about the instrument. You're gonna explore it for yourself. You've got to find three unusual sounds in the next five minutes. And it was so, you know, exciting. It just, you know, evoked curiosity and play. And that's, I think, a very impar- important part of my, um, yeah, my thinking behind my practice. You have to be playful. We say we play music, mm. yet somehow in our training we can kind of um, circumnavigate that somehow or squash it. Mm, we lose that sense of play. Yeah. What, what is most important in training is opening up a person, not closing down a person. So mm. that includes working out what inspires that person. Um, not just musician, there's many things that inspire us through our daily practice and our daily day. Um, Mm. So yeah, uh, creativity, uh, where that springs from is a constant um, thinking for me. Um, But yeah, I think uh, improvisation should be an integral part of every lesson. And Mm. that's been a conscious thought of my teaching practice for the last 20 years. Mm. Not one person, whether they're beginner, first lesson or even really advanced student, there will always be a window where we create and play with sound. Often we need a framework, mm. um, but I do like sometimes saying, do you want an unrestricted or restricted uh, improvisation moment? Mm. And often, bizarrely enough, the student themselves will pick unrestricted. And that's just license for just play anything and I'll respond. Mm. Um, This is is exactly what we're doing. We're having a conversation, which is actually an improvisation. So I think it's a very natural part of being human, but somehow we think we need to be taught how to do it. Mm. We just need to listen and respond.
0: Mm. Yeah, I imagine a lot of uh, uh, instrumental music teachers would love to incorporate more of that practice into their teaching, um, but especially those of us who have been through a conservatorium or a, you know, a Bachelor of Music where that training is so divorced, you know, many of us have studied in ways that that are focused on the the performance and replication or interpretation of works that um, I know a lot of performers do feel a little, a, a classical performers do feel afraid or intimidated by the idea of improvising. Um, how would you suggest that teachers could start to incorporate this into their practice if it's something that they're not so familiar with.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really um, great place to, to start actually. I'm doing a workshop next week actually in Gold Coast specifically mm. to, to help this string teacher kind of experiment within a larger group and larger ensemble. And they're all beginners. Mm. So they're all in year four string program. Mm-hmm. But natural fact, kids have an amazing curiosity. So I've constructed the workshop based on on natural elements so the kids have to bring in one thing from their um, kind of environment and um, preferably outside environment it mm-hmm. could be a twig they pick up it could be a stone from their garden um, but what we do is we look and identify um, what elements uh, you can and kind of suppose use descriptive words so for example if it was a rock it's uh, how heavy is it what does it feel like it's just again building in that kinesthetic and we mm. write those words down on I mean I'm a big believer in analog as well so I use great big butcher's paper and lots of bright textures. yep and the kids work together mm. so it's never just facilitated by me I set up the framework and then they go mm. um and I think what's a really lovely thing about developing this workshop is that there's been a conversation with the string teacher Mm. you know she's identified very clearly that in her in her um, I suppose her teaching practice she feels constantly under the pump to produce results Mm. Um, you know and of course teach the methodology that she has to Um, but she feels that because of what we're going through in the world that the kids need to have a moment of Realising the magical power of of music making with Mm. others. Um, And also, very importantly, there's a lot of dyslexic kids in that group. So, you know, if you've got kids who are with reading difficulties, as soon as you bring in notation, um, yes, it can help. But it takes away, you know, all of that sense of fear of playing the right note at the right time, Mm. in the right way, in the right intonation and matching everybody else. So, this workshop is designed to be creative, and they will actually improvise using those words. So um, it could be raspy, wispy, short, but even in terms of it could be a long blade of grass, mm. they have to would work out that duration, a bit like a graphic score. And often totally. that potentially with time frame could be one element to to bring in with the workshop, depending on, on who's obviously running it. But um, I love graphic scores too. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a beautiful way to to bring in a, another way of how do we represent sound on paper. Mm. Um, and again, with uh, another, uh, I suppose, performance I'm about to do, I've been invited to walk around the art gallery I'm playing in and pick one of my favourite works of art. And I've actually picked a sculpture because I want to challenge myself on how do I capture a 3D uh, work of art in mm. in sound. So often we might go to 2D um, in graphic score of course, but I, I think 3D is also kind of fun yeah dynamic to work in. Yeah, so that's just one way. There are many, I think, fantastic examples, particularly in the jazz and in the band, concert band repertoire. Mm -hmm. I think string teachers need to think uh, more across, you know, um, the other spectrums of of music teaching. We can Mm. learn a lot from world folk tradition as well. Mm. Uh, Think about it. I mean, music has been part of human language since time began, you know. Our elders, our Indigenous elders know this, um we do not need it written down. Mm. <laughs> you know, the oral history is just as important to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I suppose in some ways a lot of the younger students are going to be very responsive to that because they haven't learnt to be afraid or, or hesitant yet. Exactly. So how would you approach this with an older student, one that that might be a bit shy or reluctant to, to participate in improvising straight away?
1: Yeah, I think the reluctance, first of all, when you can work out what the resistance is, for example, a 13-year-old boy, um, it's, I don't want to look stupid. But as soon as you say those words out or help them articulate what it is, um, it's okay. And also, you need to give them a very short time frame. So, I put the, the timer on, on my phone, 30 seconds, just play anything that comes to your mind. Mm. And I might have just said anything on the D-string. You know, so I give them a very tight framework, but as soon as they realise that 30 seconds goes really quickly, mm-hmm. particularly when you're experimenting, um, they start to see that it's actually not as hard as they think. Mm. I generally wouldn't necessarily play it back to them at this point, but I do think they need to have the permission to play yeah. Um And uh, one of the other resistances I often get is from parents, parents who are paying for time. Mm. So there is this attitude, of course, with certain parents that because you're paying for lessons, there needs to be a product at the end, an A plus in a grade eight cello exam, for example. Mm. Um, But somewhere along that journey, if we're not careful, we've created a technical gifted human who can do the most amazing, genius kind of high motor skill work but it means nothing to them or to the listener. Mm. So we have to make sure we're, we're investing in the human um, and the holistic part of, of lessons and just opening improvisation for people allows conversations to talk about, you know, what's your aesthetic in music? What, what do you like listening to? You know, style uh, is just so important. It's such an influence, you know, Um, and I often find there's a massive mismatch between what teenagers are working on in their instrumental lessons and then actually what they're listening to as a playlist on their phone going to school for example mm. so if you can use improvisation as a bridge great and then of course let's face it um i'm 45 most of my students are just so over tech they're just so into it um i mean i've had students age eight come to me with garage band loops um, mm. and never begin a beginner student yeah but they love exploring yeah um and let's feed that who knows where where that generation is going to go with it let's let's feed it let's encourage it
0: Totally. In some ways, I think um, the the sort of digital world that we live in now has made some of those tools more accessible for for younger students. Yeah, and quite rightly so. There's
1: a very important word there you just said, accessibility. So that's the kind of issue for me with Western art music tradition. It's actually built on the whole foundation of elitism. Mm. And so why I work in a regional area is it should be accessible to everyone regardless Mm. of demographic and we've got a long way to go but um that's the reason I do what I do Mm. making it accessible and visible in communities
0: When you first moved to Australia, did you move straight to where you are now or did you travel a little bit? Yeah, so uh, 2003,
1: we moved straight to the Sunshine Coast. It was like, bam! (laughs) <laughs> you know and uh, I haven't lived anywhere else in Australia. I mm. mean of course I've traveled um, and I love I love this country, but my my husband's here he's from the Sunshine Coast and mm. we've brought two k- kids up here. Amazing. So uh, it feels completely like home. Yeah so no, I've not been a city slicker at all. We Amazing. live in a regional and rural area and uh, that has its challenges, but at the same time, uh, I know I need space and green and nature to be inspired. Yeah, so again, that comes with really working out through your time as a musician, through your career. There will be many what I call chapters, Mm. things you're going to need to kind of really develop. But what I need right now is, yeah, nature and calm.
0: Mm. And what was (laughs) that
1: relocation like for you at that time? Um, Challenging, but I think that's when we learn the most, isn't it? Mm. I moved to the country knowing my husband and one other person, Sarah Kuro who plays violin in the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. Uh, she was a dear friend. We met in Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra, oh, which was course. where I was before. So you couldn't get much
0: more opposite, could you really? Oh, more yeah. Hong Kong, <laughs> Hong Kong life to
1: mm. suddenly, you know, living literally. Yeah,
0: I mean, I was uh, born there, but my, my parents moved here when I was three. So I I couldn't yeah. imagine living in Hong Kong. I love visiting, but um, mm. the, the idea of living mm. there is is quite overwhelming. Yeah, but I think that's
1: another thing that feeds my passion for regional work. Um, I mean, just think about how big the geographical landmass is of Queensland. I mean, whoa, you know. So, when you kind of think about touring, often what happens is, you know, a tour might be Toowoomba, Ipswich, Brisbane, Sunshine Coast, if we're lucky. But that's like a one and a half, two hour radius around the city-centric kind of hub. Mm. and. I just would really like to see in my time here, um, you know, since 2003, I think there's a lot of work to be done to actually kind of really boost that kind of uh, injection of the arts. There are some phenomenal artists all around Australia working Mm. um, in very remote places. And actually when you think about what really feeds... um, Our kind of intense, our intense work is often when we go on retreats, you know, artists in residence, for example, or retreats. Mm. Often we do need to go away, you know, lock yourself up in a little shed somewhere and write, you know. Um, And I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I like living here. Um, It helps me do deep work.
0: Um, Mm.
1: And I've had to give up the accessibility of city and therefore more kind of easier to get work because of my choices. Mm. But we have the train. I mean, the train is amazing. Mm. Go public transport. Let's bring it on. Absolutely.
0: You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so as a freelance musician, um, you've obviously juggled many different roles and, and projects in the past. How how do you decide what gigs or projects to take on and which ones to sort of say no to or, or let, let you know, pass you by? Um, because I think one of the hardest things to learn as a a freelance musician is not to say yes to everything because it's so easy to actually burn out.
1: Yes, so I think you need a filtration system and I think it does tend to take about 10 years to work out what that filtration is for individuals. Um, Some of us are more blessed with um, energy than others. Some people are more natural planners. I think, again, it comes down to Reflection on how do I work? What is your best uh, way of working? Some of us are night owls. Some of us are early morning people like myself. Some of us tend to dream and scheme. I'm a dreamer and a schemer. So I've never waited for anyone to phone me. If there's no work in the diary, I use that time. To either plan more projects, start conversations with other people, build a network, go to stuff, actually support my own community of musicians. I mean, I'm a big believer in that. We can't just take if we're not giving. So we do need to support and lift each other up. Um and ironically just thinking the last six months I've probably watched more gigs online Mm. than I've ever than I would have ever been able to go to in the Mm. last six months because of my uh geographical location. Mm. I have loved the explosion of stuff. Um and to me that's a big win Mm. with what we're experiencing with the pandemic globally. Yeah. Um and I would really like to see that thread stay. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think how to filter what you do, you just need to really think about why are you in music? It's, again, it comes to the deep questions. You know, are you a team player? Do you prefer doing solo projects? Are you wanting to have the security, financial security of a job, whatever that is for you? Um, some people really get switched on by academia um, and there's nothing wrong with doing thorough research and groundbreaking stuff like that. Um But I think it's more and more common, I would say, particularly in the creative industries, that most of us will have a portfolio career. Mm. So, you know, the more kind of skill sets we teach, including business and administration skills to people in training, um, the better. And I actually facilitate that a lot uh, with my teaching. Um, I often set projects like that with my teenagers, you know. um, I suppose just like they would do if they were doing science, you know, go research something. If you want to discover what recording's like, see if you can do one. Do your first EP. Um, you know, so I often listen to those little threads in in lessons and, and try and really steer that individual onto their new, bigger, scarier um, target. Um, but that means mentoring is a very important part of, of my teaching as well.
0: So... What impact uh, has COVID had on your day-to-day activities as well as, I guess, you know, a, a sort of more of a long-term picture of what you're doing? Because I, I guess um, a lot of the musicians we've talked to so far have sort of uh, uh, shared that it's been very much a time of, of reflection for them and, and in some ways reorienting themselves. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I would say it's for every human on the planet.
1: Um, but I think it's interesting to think about uh, this experience for us all. I mean, climate change affects 100% of us on this planet and yet um, COVID, what, might affect 4%? And I think it's an interesting thing. We've all been affected very differently depending on where we live. Um, mm. And I think uh, it is the most beautiful thing to be given the privilege of quiet time. Um And I don't know, perhaps it's a hangover from people kind of getting sent to time out as a kid. The idea of being in isolation for some people is a scary thought because, you know, your demons Mm. come out. You have to kind of really know who you are and how you're going to handle that. Um, But Mm -hmm. perhaps as artists, we're very used to being in isolation. Um, I think shelter in place a lot. Um, I think, you know, we just need to work out what it is we want to use the time for. Um, Mm. I think there was this mad scramble and panic at the beginning of this pandemic to produce work. You know, the reaction for for many of us was, right, I'm going to do three recordings in the next three months. And some people have produced Mm. phenomenal amounts of work like that, almost gone into overdrive in a manic way to create work, to prove that um, what we do is relevant. Mm. But I think, you know, again why we go into music is very personal. Um, I'd like to think of it this way, you know, if we were, for example, training, um, say, in a medical college, you know, we'd be saying to those young graduates, go forward, you you know, you're gonna go and heal the world. Um, Think of all that knowledge you can share. But for us as musicians, we know actually that the reason we do it is for that one moment when someone reaches out to you. and says their world has changed because of something you have contributed. I think Yo-Yo Ma is a great example of that. Um, His songs of comfort that he's produced, he's done it freely, voluntarily. Um, He's not worried about whether he's got the best microphones or the most beautiful live streaming cameras. He's doing it because he wants to heal and that's mm. his reason for, for doing it. Um, but therefore, you know, we all need to work out how we're going to contribute, whether that be to our family, to the people we live with. Um, and if you don't have people you live with, then you're definitely going to be feeling isolated even more. But this is a great time to, to be in quiet, to reflect and um, use it to nourish self in many ways. Mm. Um, For me, I love cooking. So um, I've just loved pouring, um, you know, my eyes into these gorgeous recipe books and and cultivating nourishing meals for my family. Mm. That's been one way of showing I love them and that I'm here and that I'm caring. And I also have to think about those years when I wasn't around. So Mm. in some ways it's a swing because for me, I had two kids. I was very ambitious. And I was jumping on planes when my babies were babies. Um, So this is my time to kind of give back in in a way that I can now and be there for Mm. them. Yesterday was an example. Um, My kid had to have a a cast on his wrist. He broke his wrist, you know, and normally it would be sending someone else to help with that, you know, because I might be in Brisbane or I might be somewhere else. So I think it's been a great gift for me mm. to, to have this. But one other thing to think about is how has it forge- uh, affected my my career? You see, I hate that word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think of myself as having a career. Um, and even that other label we tend to use, portfolio musician, what does that mean? Mm. I, there are many threads to a human, Um so I think I've also had to work out what is that that makes me up, you know, mm. um, the threads that, that have become me. Um, and if you can just really identify what gives you joy, what gives you solace, then um, that's important. For me, I love sharing and caring for people. Um, and so if I can use my music um, to inspire others, to, to help them at times of need, then that is the most important thing we can do. Um, mm. Yeah, because it is those moments, like when I played in a string quartet. Um, I played some Shostakovich. I remember in uh, Manchester Prison to a group of lifers, and they were all there because you know they'd obviously done something bad. They were in there for life. Um, but my quartet, we were playing live music now. Great scheme set up by and Menuhin, and this guy just was in tears at the end of this show. And mm. this, you know, this solidarity of the of the prisoners. There, there was this kind of sense of He was in pain, but everyone knew that and didn't make him feel isolated because of it. Um, And it was a really beautiful moment for me. I realised the power of not just beautiful sounding music, but angry music. And Mm. he was listening to the second movement of the Shostakovich String Quartet 8, and he said, if I'd known there was music like that with such power, and you can make such angry, aggressive music from those instruments, Mm. he really felt he wouldn't have been in prison and he started wow. the first record club vinyl club this was in the early 90s and it's still going so he, he used to write you know to all these people you know can you send us your CDs and your um, music for particularly classical music mm. and until that point he'd never been exposed so you know I think this is the reason we do it um, like I remember a project at Nambour Special School, I was uh, asked to go in and do a six-week um, teaching artist uh, kind of, I suppose, project with them. Um, mm. And they wanted something to do with the environment. Um, mm. And the kids at the time were reading Tidilic, uh, which is a story, Dreamtime story, mm. all about obviously the frog that drank all the water. And what I remember about this uh, particular project is the fact that at the end of the show, with all the kids, participating in some form or other, whatever they could. There were so many people, parents and teachers, just like, wow, that is so exciting to see my kid participate, you know. And Mm. when you've got 40 wheelchairs on stage, that's powerful. You know, these kids were participating in a very beautiful and very authentic way. Mm. And um, I think that's what I'm charged to do. That's my calling, it's not to be the best cellist I can be. It's to be the best human I can be mm. and share the, the power of great art uh, because we're going to need it in
0: recovery. I mean, mm. I've needed
1: it, so I'm sure other people are needing it.
0: Yeah. Over the years, you've done a lot of work with Muses Trio and, um, What's happening for you guys at the moment? Uh, is it a bit of a... I saw that you guys got funding for a, for a recording project, which is very exciting. Yeah, gosh, that was very exciting. ABC
1: Fresh Start Fund. Yeah, thank you, ABC. Um, and yeah, that's to commission uh, a female composer, one from every state and territory, to write a short movement um, for our Fire Dances suite. Because what we're mm. very aware of, again, living where I do... Um, I'm very concerned about the environment. So, um, you know, fire this suite is to obviously commemorate and just help create awareness. And, uh, you know, let's remember just January, February, Australia experienced mm. some of the worst bushfires we've ever had, on the back of some of the worst drought we've ever had. So the world needs us, the environment needs us to wake up. And um, COVID is just part of that bigger uh, picture. For me, mm. so this work is going to be very exciting, just to bring back into the general public's perception that oh yeah, that did happen, and there mm. are still people, communities, who who are really struggling. I mean, people who are still living in tents who, who yeah. don't have their home, and it's very easy to forget when when it's not right in your face in, in media.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and how did this this group form?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. It's like everything good in my life. It's very organic (laughs) and intuitive. Um, So, yeah, in many ways it connects to one of the other questions, you know, how do I plan things? It comes through the heart first and then the brain. Often people plan with brain and then heart maybe at the end. (laughs) For me, it's the other way around. So, when... Therese Manovich approached me to do a concert of female composers. Um, It was her line of questioning, can you name any uh, female composers in the last 20 years? Mm. And I was like, "Mm, Elena katz And then it was like, whoa, okay. That completely opened up this chasm of like, whoa, why don't I know more? Mm. And then it started to trickle in. But it wasn't a natural thing for me to think in that way. I couldn't kind of actually list five without Mm. really going through I could feel almost the cogs in the brain and um that was when I realized wow okay this would be really exciting to just learn more so it started there Mm. um and I think you know It is brave, risky to, of course, just say we only play female composers. But until we have complete gender parity in the classical music industry, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, Mm. And I think what I want to talk about is we need diversity in the arts. I mean, we can't say the arts represent people and our Mm. community unless we're doing that work to do that. So Mm. um, it's one thread of what I call diversity in my practice. Um, mm. Yeah, we need to be really empowering, uh, mm. marginalized people and communities um, to experience the arts generally. Yeah, mm. and sometimes it's not our stories to tell, but that's the po- the most beautiful thing about the muses. We, we approach people and generally speaking, the composers want to tell their story. It's their narrative. They feel a voice unheard. Mm. And and so that's beautiful to, again, empower another colleague, another beautiful artist uh, to flower in this world mm. because um, we all have a story. We just choose to express it differently. Some of us through food and clothes, that would be me, and others through writing beautiful compositions, you know.
0: Mm. Mm. And, and you alluded before earlier to the formation of, of chamber music ensembles and, and maintaining an ensemble being very much a, a personal relationship. Um, do you have any tips for for young musicians who are, are, you know, just forming chamber music ensembles for the first time or, or very, in the very early stages of a new ensemble? Yeah, think of it like um, a love relationship because <laughs> it is. Um
1: what will happen is you'll have the honeymoon period where you're very, very excited and it's just, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever done and you'll just want to rehearse forever and you'll have amazing scheming and dreamings and you'll probably plan to be, you know, successful in the next five years, you know, and there will be some very exciting conversations happening then. If there's one thing I wish I'd done is document that. So anyone Mm. listening, document those conversations, even over a cup of tea, like last night, I was doing a rehearsal with a beautiful band up here on the Sunshine Coast, and the drummer Brett brought three GoPros, and I went, "Man, this is just a rehearsal." He went, "I'm documenting everything." He said, "I'm discovering things all the time, mm. and I think this is important. It's not just documenting um, the final outcome. It's how do you think? What's your process? How do you actually kind of?" Um, create work. What's your strategic thinking? And generally speaking, in a group, you're going to need many different kinds of brains. You're going to need a great planner. You're going to need someone who's great with scheduling. You're going to need a really good schmoozer because anyone in the arts needs money. (laughs) And so, you're going to need to know where to get support from, Mm. both financial and moral and emotional. You know, we Mm. we need partners as we describe it in our uh, I suppose, our art organisational funding applications. But, you know, it is a partnership. And if we yeah. th- even think about that word, it has to be a give and take. There has to be an understanding. And it starts with a, a yarn, a conversation. It starts mm. with, okay, hey, I'm thinking about doing this and not being too fixed with the outcome. Um, and I think that is example of what Muse's Trio has become. I didn't have any other expectation than to play in one concert for a very small amount of money if we managed to sell 60 seats. That was a very easy, doable target. And then it's become a very long-term, sustainable project. But do we have all our stuff sorted? No. Are we an organisation? No. I mean, do we have governance in that way that many big art art organisations have? No. But what we have is passion and we have a cause. And so Mm. maybe my advice would be, Find what your cause is. Mm. What are you passionate about? Maybe come up with a mission statement as a group as Mm. to why you, compared to any other, say, string quartet, wind quintet, exist, Mm. you know? And it can't be for glory of self. Sorry, there's way too much ego in our (laughs) world. It has to be about, you know, um, doing something for another. And that's why I brought up Mm. that Yo-Yo Ma example. He is an Mm. incredible artist, um, but yet...
0: He does things for other people. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's great advice. Thank you. And maybe just to wrap up today, um, you joined our dots and loops family last year at the Nonstop Fe- Festival. You um, mentored some of our young musicians who were taking part in the um, performance fellowship, playing Max Richter's uh, Vivaldi recomposed. Um, do you have a favourite moment from the festival that that uh, I guess springs to mind? or even from the the rehearsal period.
1: Yeah, a favourite moment would be the vibe in the room when you get a disparate group of musicians who kind of know each other but don't. It's a bit like looking at dogs in a dog park, you know, they're mm-hmm. kind of just sussing each other out. But there is this moment of connection. Um, and often as musicians, we feel a little bit more comfortable when we do the work in the room. So what I noticed was there was a lot of energy, lots of fizziness, lots of kind of, whoa, 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 this is exciting. But then as soon as we played the first bar of music, it's like everyone just settled and you could feel this energy just go boom, sink in the room. And Mm. the work started to happen. So I would use that as an example of what I'd say to a lot of the young musicians who are reaching out to me now. If you're Mm. feeling unsettled and unbalanced, just do the work. You have to play music because it makes you feel good.
0: Mm. And
1: often what is a nice natural kind of ripple out for that is often if it makes you feel good, you're going to be much nicer to be around and therefore Mm. people will want to work with you
0: Mm. and therefore
1: there's going to be more opportunities further down the track. But yeah, that would be my favourite moment, the very first rehearsal and suddenly that magical sound of all these instruments Uh, coming together. And then in the actual gig itself, um, yeah, I think the look on Kieran's face when he realised that it was happening. (laughs) It was like there's people here and it was smooth and it was beautiful and it was exciting. It was a curiosity of things to see and do and you could see people really enjoying the experience, Mm. which is
0: why we have the arts, right? That's it. Yeah. 100%. So congratulations
1: to you guys. It was a, a huge undertaking and, and done very well. Mm, well done.
0: No, we were so happy to have you be a part of it, and we hope that uh, that we'll be able to do it again soon. Um, obviously, this year we've had to adjust our plans somewhat, so we won't be oh, having yeah. something of that same scale. Uh, but hopefully next year, we'll we'll see how we go. Yeah.
1: Well. Mm, good luck. I mean, reframing yeah. and pivoting is is all what we're doing at the moment. So um, I'm sure something beautiful will come from it.
0: Mm. And, of course, uh, listeners, please uh, visit uh, Louisa's website for a bit more info on the stuff that she does. She's got some great workshops coming up. Is there anything else apart from that that one down the Gold Coast that uh, is on the horizon for you? Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm dreaming. I'm, I'm starting my own festival too in this region. Oh, so um, that's going to hopefully uh, be out in the world for 2021. Wonderful. But, you know, being a Sunshine Coast-based regional artist um, and a senior practitioner here, Um, I hear constantly, why is there nothing to do here? Why do I constantly have to go to Brisbane to see Mm. classical music? Mm. So when you look around and there's nobody in the community doing it other than Mm. yourself, you go, well, maybe that should be my calling. So I've taken that mantle on and it's huge, as you know. That's very exciting. But I'm I'm really uh, in a very beautiful research and development stage for that mm. and, and as I said dreaming up some beautiful ideas of guest artists and programs and very importantly how it's going to impact my community where I live wonderful yeah
0: it's oh, very cool very excited to see what comes of that and uh, of course you know always get in touch with us if there's anything we can help with too yes partnerships remember flora mm-hmm. that's it that's what we need First off, a big thank you to Louise King, our guest for the week. It was so wonderful to have her on and we hope that you've enjoyed the insights that she shared. This episode of Joining the Dots was made possible with the support of our funding partners, the Australia Council for the Arts and the Australian Cultural Fund and our patrons. A huge thank you to our editor, Dan Kasilke, to Madeline Kekoulas, who created the beautiful theme music and to Chris Perrin for his graphic design wizardry.
1: To stay in the loop, like and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also sign up to our email newsletter on our website, dotsandloops.com.au, to be notified of new episodes and hear everything that we're up to. Until next time, make sure you check out the Joining the Dots video tutorial series, which you can find on our YouTube channel. And... Thank you, dear listener, for joining us on Joining the Dots. Please share with your family, friends, the art lovers in your life, your dog, your cat, you never know, they'll probably love it. Chat to you next time.